Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Legends of the Batman. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm Michael Bradley. And this week we continue our coverage of all things Batman, as found in October of 1940, uh, where we will be looking at the first story in Batman number three. Um, and this is actually part two of our coverage of October 1940, where last week I think we mentioned, or last episode we mentioned that we are trying a new strategy of just covering one story at a time. So this is officially our, our first attempt at breaking up a, an issue. So we'll see how that goes. Yep. I think it'll go okay, though. Yeah. You know, I was thinking uh, but, another another pro for doing that that we didn't mention before is that it's kind of funny that, you know, like uh, Hugo Strange gets a whole episode dedicated to his first appearance and the guy who takes people's faces off gets a <laughs> gets an episode dedicated to yeah. his first appearance, his only appearance. But then, like, Joker comes along and he has to share four other stories. And yeah. Catwoman comes along and she has to stare, share, a sto- uh, you know, an episode with Joker and who knows who else. So. Right. It's kind of cool to... And just focus on one thing at a time, especially when a neat character comes along. Right. And I think that Joker story we had last episode was his only Detective Comics appearance for quite a while, if I'm rem- remembering right. Hmm. So, at least this way he'll get, you know, solo episodes, even he, even though he's appearing in Batman. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into the story, we've actually got a little bit of sad news, because uh, news came from his family on March... Third, I believe it was reported that Sheldon Moldoff passed away on February 29th at the age of 91. Um, we've talked about some of Sheldon's stories already on this story he, because he was one of the earliest to do inks on Batman stories other than Bob Kane. His first issue is believed to be Detective Comics number 30. Um, overall, he's probably better known to Batman fans for his work in the Silver Age where he worked – uncredited as a ghost artist for Bob Kane for like a decade and a half. Jeez. And he's been acknowledged as co-creating, you know, like Batmite and Ace the Bat-Hound. Really? Mr. Wow. Freeze and Poison Ivy. Yeah. And Very the, cool. the original Batgirl, Betty Kane. He was also the cover artist to Flash Comics number one and All-American Comics number 16, which were the first appearances of the Golden Age Flash and Green Lantern. And he was, I think, the second artist on Hawkman, huh. uh, taking over around the character's fourth appearance. So was he primarily a ghost artist, or did he eventually start getting his own credit? Um, well, he wasn't credited for the covers unless he signed them, because they didn't credit cover artists back then, right. unless they were signed. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have to look at the Hawkman stories. I don't know if he got credit on those or not. I would have to look at those. I don't remember. Mm. Yeah, there's a whole site dedicated. I think it's called Who Drew Batman, mm-hmm. dedicated to trying to decipher who drew Batman. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. interesting to read I it. I think we have that linked on the side rail if anyone's interested. Yeah. Mark Evanier also noted that he was the last surviving person to have worked on Action Comics number one. Oh wow! So that's that's a bummer. Yeah. Being kind of the uh, comic that kickstarted the industry, so mm-hmm. to speak. It, yeah. What did he do on Action Number One? Did you already say that? He did a couple fillers, like oh. the, you know, the little joke fillers or the fantastic oh. facts fillers. It it wasn't uh, any of the main stories, but he did have work in it. So. Wow. Yeah, the old guard is disappearing. Yeah, uh, we're. <laughs> 
we're down to very few. I mean, Stan Lee and Nick Carty, Russ Heath, Ramona Fraden, and Murphy Anderson are both still around. Yeah. That's about it, unfortunately. It's weird to think of Stan Lee as one of those guys, but he was. Yeah. He was just a kid, though, but I always forget that he, you know, worked back then, I guess. I'm always thinking yeah. of him as, like, the guy who started the 60s, but, yeah. And not to be, you know, morbid, but he he probably won't be around much longer either, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. He can't remember any of his stories with, <laughs> with any sort of facts anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it matters, but um, anyway. On yeah, the happier things. It seems like we're we're making a lot of announcements about people dying. That's a real shame, but... On to the first story in Batman number three, uh, which had a cover date of fall 1940. It was approximately on sale October 18th, 1940 for 10 cents with an editor named Whitney Ellsworth still. The cover is a very iconic Batman and Robin pose as the two of them run straight at you, uh, straight at the reader, and it's just an all-black background. Uh, pencils by Bob Kane and inks by Jerry Robinson. What do this we think of this cover? This is a great cover. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. very. I know it's one of Kane's stock poses, but it's you know it's very iconic representations of both the characters, and it, it's fun with Batman and Robin charging into action. Oh uh, yeah, and we both have the same note. It's it's totally the the animation from the TV show. Yes. Um, the Adam West or TV show. I mean, that's pretty much exactly what they look like. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the all black portion but um, it, it really makes the figures pop that's but, true but it is a little bland yeah I, I mean i've seen it on seen these exact figures on white i think it looks better but yeah this these figures were used on the cover to uh the dark knight archives volume two and batman chronicles volume two and on the batman chronicles volume it's got the white background which yeah which looks good too mm-hmm. uh, and that logo looks pretty cool too but We've seen that already. Okay. The first story, which we will be talking about tonight, is called The Strange Case of the Diabolical Puppet Master. 13 pages as usual, with script by Bill Finger, pencils by Bob Kane, and inks by Jerry Robinson and George Rousseau. And it starts out, Bruce Wayne. Oh, by the way, everybody, I kind of have a cold, and I didn't think that was going to be a problem, but... Now that I'm talking, I feel like I'm losing my voice. So if I'm a little scrackly tonight, I apologize. And I just made up that word, scrackly. Okay. <laughs> anyway, off we go. Bruce Wayne, bored socialite by day, avenger of crime by night. This is the way of that strange, mysterious figure known as Batman. With his young aide, Dick Grayson, called Robin the Boy Wonder, he again matches wits with an evil, all-powerful being able to sway the minds of men. A being who pulls the strings of his human marionettes with mad, skillful fingers. This is the strange case of the diabolical puppet master. While patrolling the night, the Batman comes across two men walking the street, one dressed as a Cossack, who intentionally bumps the other. Sensing trouble, Batman leaps down to the street and confronts the bumper, only to have the Cossack Take a swing at him. As a fist fight ensues, three more Cossacks leap from a car, one of them knocking Batman out from behind. As the four thugs speed away, Batman converses with the bump man and learns that he is the famous scientist Dr. Craig. Dr. Craig surmises that perhaps he was 
accosted because the Cossacks, accosted in Cossacks, were after his formula for atomic power, which could be of tremendous importance to the war, uh, or a war, I guess it says. As Dr. Craig leaves Batman scratching his chin, he notices a small scratch in his hand that he decides must have happened when he was bumped. The next day, Bruce Wayne is walking the streets, most likely on his way to breakfast, when he notices two of the Cossacks from the night before walking in an alleyway. Following them, he learns that they perform for Dimitri the Puppet Master, helping him on stage during his puppeteer show. Summoning Robin, the boy wonder infiltrates a room next to Dimitri's dressing room and eavesdrops with a high-tech stethoscope he places against the wall. He hears Dimitri questioning his Cossack subordinates, asking if they have completed their mission. The minions confirm they have succeeded, despite Batman's effort to stop them, and that Dr. Craig will indeed soon be under Dimitri's power. Dimitri, unconcerned about the Batman's interference, proclaims, Our plan will still go on. Dr. Craig tonight, the Voss rifle tomorrow night. Robin reports what he hears back to Bruce, who decides first things first and suits up as Batman to go find Dr. Craig. Meanwhile, back at the puppet theater, Dimitri wonders to his minions whether his thought serums will actually work, and then ex explains to them how one scratch from a needle in his serum enters a man's brain and allows Dimitri to control them over great distances. Dimitri then pulls a marionette that resembles Dr. Craig out and puts his serum to the test, ordering a sleeping Dr. Craig all the way across town to wake up and take his formula for atomic power and give it to his men. The, serums, the serum works, and Dr. Craig finds himself under a trance, removing his formula from his hidden safe and handing it over to the Dimitri's men who are at Dr. Craig's front door. But before the Cossacks can grab the rolled-up document, a blue-gloved hand snatches it from Dr. Craig. The totally awesome Batman has arrived and confronts the shocked and annoying henchmen, annoyed henchmen, holding the formula in front of them and proclaiming, come and get it. They try and completely fail, Batman easily sending them packing. Batman then takes the still-hypnotized Dr. Craig back to his secret laboratory, where he and Robin theorize that perhaps a good electric shock will snap him out of it. Meanwhile, Back at the puppet theater, Dimitri is a tad annoyed with Batman for stopping his plans to sell atomic power to the highest bidder, and decides to put all his effort on getting that Voss rifle. He instructs his minions to go out to the streets and scratch as many degenerate lowlifes as they can find and infect them with his formula, and then that night he weaves a hypnotic spell that brings a horde of puppet hoodlums under his sway. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Batman and Robin make their way through the underground tunnel underneath Wayne Manor to a secret and seemingly deserted barn that houses the Batplane. Taking off, they make their way to the train that is carrying the Voss rifle, finding it already under attack by Dimitri's puppet horde. Setting the Batplane to park, the two leap into the train and get to fighting. As they kick and punch their way through the crowd of villains, a thug leaps on Batman from behind and scratches his face. Meanwhile, Soldiers arrive on the scene, but are kept at bay by tear gas being thrown by Dimitri's horde. Batman and Robin leap back into the Batplane and essentially bomb the tear gas by releasing pellets that neutralize it. With the soldiers now able to f freely attack the zombie horde, Batman and Robin decide that's pretty much the end of the Puppet Master and stay in their Batplane and leave the scene. As they head home, Batman notices the scratch on his face, but figures one of the fellows he was beating on must have had sharp nails. Back at the puppet shop, Dimitri is very excited to learn that the Batman has been scratched, and that night, 
whips out a Batman-like puppet and orders Batman, wherever he is, to awaken and steal jewels from the Martier's shop and return them to him. Bruce Wayne, like all of Dimitri's victims, falls under the puppeteer's spell and wakes from his bed, dons his Batman uniform, and proceeds to carry out his new master's orders. His new master, meanwhile, calls the police station anonymously and warns them that Batman will be stealing the jewels he just ordered him to steal, hoping that the police will shoot Batman down like a thief. Batman, meanwhile, easily breaks in the jewelry shop and is confronted by the police, who just can't believe Batman would do anything illegal. They attack him anyway, though, but Batman makes short work of them and escapes. Back at Wayne Manor, Dick notices that Bruce has gone missing and decides he must have gone after the puppet master without him. Donning his Robin costume, he gets Dimitri's address from a local newspaper review of Dimitri's puppet show and heads on over, just as a possessed Batman arrives on the scene carrying the stolen jewels. Robin questions Batman and his possession of, his possession of a bag of, full of jewelry, and the hypnotized, hypnotized Dark Knight decides Robin is interfering, interfering with his orders and smacks him across the face. At first, Robin is taken aback, but then realizes Batman must be hypnotized like Dr. Craig was, and knocks Batman out with one punch, hoisting him over his shoulder and taking him back to Wayne Manor for some electric shock therapy. Back at Dimitri's home, Batman walks through his door holding the jewelries and proclaiming, I have obeyed. Dimitri, surprised that the Batman is not dead, orders him to hand over the jewels. Instead, Batman hands Dimitri a fist to the stomach and then a left hook to the face. As the puppet master falls unconscious to the floor, Robin arrives and he and Batman have a good laugh over how the electrical, how the electric shock treatment worked and snap mat, snapped Batman out of his fog. He and Robin then decide they should take Dimitri to the police and explain to them that Batman isn't really a criminal and that the Batman will never stop fighting crime. The end. And just so you all know, the Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder battle their way through amazing adventures every month in Detective Comics. Don't miss it. Very well done. Thank you. I can't speak anymore, but thank you. (laughs) (laughs) so we start off with a very nice uh, splash page. Mm-hmm. I, artistically, I don't think it's as strong as the others, but it still does a nice job of you know grabbing your eye and bringing you, bringing you down the page. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of last or Detective Comics. Uh, I was going to say last week, but it's still this month we're talking about uh, Detective Comics Joker splash page in a way. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's got a similar kind of layout. Mm-hmm. But it's still cool. And I definitely like the little puppets, the little Batman and Robin puppets he's got going on there. Yeah. I like that they're not quite accurate to yeah. the costumes. Like, he just mm-hmm. kind of cobbled them together really fast. Yeah. I think DC should make these and sell them. They should. Well, they made they made that Joker marionette several years ago. Did they? they All right. Yeah. Got to check that out. It was very pricey. Oh, of course, because it's direct DC or something. Right. Uh, I like the caption on this page. I feel like they the changed, opening caption. Yeah, they changed it up a little bit. I mean, they have to write this every month or every story, but I like hearing it hearing very, the. Go ahead. I was gonna say it sounded very good when you were reading it. Yeah, I like the reference to the board socialite idea again. Like they used to call them that when we first started the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it just seemed a little more a little different than it usually is, but. I don't know how the heck he writes that every week anyway, or every month anyway, but or how he did. Because, uh, yeah, it's very repetitive. Yeah. 
yeah, right, trying to write the uh, episode synopses for, for my show and this one. You know, I mean, you, you do the ones here on this show, too, but uh, doing one of those a week for my show, it, it gets a, mm-hmm. a bit difficult to make it sound interesting and, and different from the last. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, I like I like the look of Dimitri. Yeah. He, he looks different than your basic stock villain. I mean, not in the outrageous way like the Joker does, but you know, he's still a realistic-looking guy, but he's got a very unique look to him. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I always forget to... I don't always, but most of the time I forget to describe what somebody looks like in these synopsis. I guess we're assuming that everybody's reading along, but if we're assuming everybody's reading along, then why are we summarizing them anyway? So somebody somebody out there isn't reading along. Um, but yeah, I always forget to describe it. And I was also thinking, like, he reminded me of – who did he remind me of? He reminded me of um, kind of like Stromboli from Pinocchio. Oh, wow. Was uh, Pinocchio out this time? And so – I just thought of that like a half hour before we decided to record tonight, and I looked it up, and it came out February 1940. Hmm. I bet you there it is. I bet you, yeah. yeah. And this came out, this was released in October of 1940, so I'm not saying that's how they were inspired by it, but they could have been. Much like with the Talking Flowers, I, I bet you anything it, that they at least took a an inspiration from a movie. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, he doesn't look, I think Stromboli in that cartoon had a... A huge beard, and this guy just kind of has a mustache. But otherwise, they just look very big and scary and gypsy-like. Aside from the fact that we've got you know repeated poses in the art, in the last panel of this of page one here, and in the first panel of page two, I think the opening here is pretty awesome. I really like the narration and the first two panels of the actual story, both here yeah. and on the next page. Yeah, I recognized that the second page's first panel was definitely. Reused. I mean, we've talked about that one before. Um, I guess I didn't realize that the splash page had a reused panel, but yeah, you're probably right. It's kind of like the cover mm. from a couple issues of Detective Comics ago. Mm-hmm. It's really neat, though. Right. And it's got yeah, with bat- the moody yeah. clouds and the bats. That's, yeah. Yeah, it's got bats flying around. I don't know if we've seen bats flying around the city before, but mm. it's kind of cool. We got Cossacks making a comeback. Yep, they were the henchmen du jour, I think, for Bill Finger stories. Apparently. This is what, the third time he's used uh-huh. Cossacks? I think the first two times were the same, you know, master villain, though, weren't they? It was a... Uh, Dr. Death? Dr. Death, right, yeah. But now, apparently, other people, or, you know, Dr. Death. That's right, because he killed him in the first story. He killed the henchman in the first story. He killed Jabba, and then the next story, he had a different henchman. That's right. Who looked exactly like Jabba, yeah. right. Um, so they're probably just out of work and had to find somebody. Like the fight on this second page here? Uh-huh. It's weird. I don't know. It's weird to see Batman getting owned. You know, they knock him out from behind and get away. That happens to him all the time in these issues. Yeah. Uh, we've remarked at how many times he gets knocked in the head. Um, but I kind of like it. I kind of like that he's just not infallible all the time. Yeah, it, it's very much more of an interesting read when you know i mean it you have to have the the villain or the the hero get defeated before he can come back and triumph at the end it's basic storytelling but right uh, but yeah i understand what you're saying and apparently dr craig took advantage of the blue suit sale from (laughs) last issue yeah i didn't even notice that and all the cossacks are wearing green and their green car 
Uh, it's a very the orange page. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, page three, we have our first, possibly our first World War II reference. He does say that they can use it in war rather than in a war or in the war, so mm-hmm. it may not be a direct reference to World War II. Uh, but this is the first time they've explicitly talked about a war, even though we've had you know spies and international stuff before. Well, they, they talked about. They talked to uh, was it the Chinese um, on that last Joker story we talked about where they were poor war torn people. Oh right, right, okay. Well, I don't know if that's World War Two or if that was something else, but it seems like war is being mentioned more and more for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also looked up because they mentioned atomic power here. Mr. Dr. Craig is working on atomic energy. Right. And I was interested, you know, well, how long have we been working on atomic energy? You know, is that like a recent thing or? And according to Wikipedia, who, which knows all, um, there were a few attempts in the early 30s, I guess, to make it happen, or you know, to theorize that it could happen. But it, I, some, I, I don't know. There was a lot about. You should go and read it if you're really interested. I didn't summarize all that, but it, around 1939 is when people started getting serious, and apparently scientists at this point from all different countries, like the United States and United Kingdom and France and Germany and Russia, were all petitioning their governments for support on atomic research or nuclear fission research. So it's becoming very popular at this point. That would have definitely been in the news at the time. Yeah. Hmm. I love super, or I love Superman. I love, uh, uh, Bruce Wayne's supernatural ability to randomly come across Cossacks (laughs) whenever he needs to. Yes. Yes. This is not the first time he's done that. It really is. Uh, he did that before with the other stories we were just talking about where he's just driving around and he sees the henchman that he's looking for. And here he does it again. He's just walking along and he sees two of them in an alleyway. It's uh, Bill Finger's, um, I don't want to say weakness, I guess, but he definitely uses this idea a lot where just random circumstance gets the, right. gets the story moving again. But then we go into the puppet show. And Dimitri is standing to the side of the stage, pointing at his Cossack henchmen who are operating the puppets. So, yeah, it, if he's not the one doing the string work, doesn't that just make him the, the guy that stands to the side and points? Yep, pretty much. Okay. I like Robin's. We don't even see it. I guess it's off camera, but I like that, uh, or off panel. But I like Robin's assignment to uh, Snoop. Uh huh. It's kind of cool. I I don't know if they're doing this on purpose, but it seems to me that they are are giving Robin the the easy safe assignments ever since he's come into existence like they Well no earlier they were giving him the hard stuff remember when they he would send Robin to go do something very dangerous and like in the uh was it the Clayface story he told oh. Robin to to guard the theater while he went and did something completely That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like lately Batman's doing all the all the work. And Robin will either show up unwanted, like because he's looking for Batman, or get some easy assignment like this. But maybe it just depends on the issue. I wonder if they got any feedback from <clears throat> from like uh, parents about Robin. I don't know. I sure they probably did. Yeah. Because he, you know, very popular kid character. There weren't there weren't really too many kid characters at this point, were there? No, I think he's the one who blew blew open that uh, that scene, didn't he? Okay. Like pretty soon, everybody's gonna have a Robin. So apparently, they didn't get it. 
a lot of negative feedback or he probably would have just disappeared. Right. If anything, he got a lot of positive feedback because all of a sudden there were robbing clones everywhere. Um, we have – go ahead. I, I was going to say, but yeah, I do – I do. getting back on point, I do like that they you know, split him up. It lets us – let's – Batman and Robin get a view of things from both angles because Robin is behind the scenes and Bruce is in the audience. Mm-hmm. And plus it gives us some – Robin solo action, you know, when he's not going in to save Batman or or whatever. He's actually kind of on his own little mission here. Yeah. We have a new bat device on this page also. The uh <laughs> kind of the uh well it says it's a instrument very much like a doctor's stethoscope and I'm thinking, no, that's <laughs> just a doctor's stethoscope, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Maybe it's a high tech stethoscope. <laughs> yeah, it could be. I wonder where they keep stuff like that. But in his belt buckle. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They had that really gaudy radio at some point too, didn't they? Right. So we're up to page four. So far in this story, I like that they're being very they seem like they're being very proactive, which is always something we, we pick on. Right. But they're you know, other than the part where other than the part where they randomly find the Cossack in the alleyway, but uh you know, he assigns Robin to spy, and then they figure out the two things this guy's after, and they actually go after. They don't like sit around waiting for Doctor Craig to die and show up in a newspaper. They they like right. He he doesn't hear about a, a bad thing happening and then wait a week. Yeah. To yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand necessarily why they don't just go beat him up right now, since they know who he is and where he is and what he's going to do. But I guess maybe because he hasn't done it yet, they can't. I don't know. Because people can just talk. I mean, what do you? Yeah. Baby steps. Yeah, baby steps. I do like the panel of Batman on this page, though. Yes, that is a fantastic panel. And we get more uh, good narration from Finger. Mm -hmm. Like a grim, silent ghost, a dark form steps to the night. The Batman is again on the prowl. Yeah. Even even though Batman's lightened up, he's still very good at those moody descriptions that that give some moodiness to the story. Yeah, if you got rid of the word balloon here where he says, first stop, Dr. Craig, you could make that like a T-shirt or something. Easy. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. I'd wear that. Mm-hmm. It should be interesting to see how that moodiness changes or, or doesn't as we go forward, you know, through yeah. more and more stories in the next year. Yeah, we still get the occasional – like this panel, he looks pretty dark in this panel. You know, um, he's not smiling or anything. And we occasionally we occasionally get the the panel where they're out in the fog or or being the Dark Avengers and I like it I like that we still get touches of of moody darkness in between puns and and laughing. So what do you think of Dimitri's power? Well, ability? I, uh, I think it's kind of ridiculous, uh, <laughs> and also clearly the puppets have nothing to do with it, so that's just his own hang up. <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's like a combination of mind control and voodoo and hypnotism. Yeah, and it's all science-based somehow. Right. And this guy doesn't really strike me as a scientist, so maybe that's my biggest problem with it. I don't know where how he created this thing. But, it, but you know, these these stories all seem to have this one little bit of craziness like that. And you, I guess if you just buy into it and move on, it's okay. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. how it, that's how it works, okay. But yeah, I mean the Joker, every Joker story we've covered so far, he kills somebody in a ridiculous, bizarre way that I don't think would work. <laughs> but you know, you just 
shrug and move on. Telephone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it works as far as, you know, he's a puppeteer and now he can control people. So there's that whole thing. Right. That, you know, but it's just, I guess it's a representative of his power over people. Yeah. Something. I guess I would like better if he was just some sort of mutant who could do it rather than it, them having to explain that they have this serum that somehow invades your brain and makes you susceptible to someone who can control you from 20 blocks away. Right. You know, I don't really get that part, but that's okay. I, I was, I was going to say that maybe he was going for more of a pulp feel, but you know, yeah. mind control would be pulpish as well too. You know, like mm-hmm. if you think back to, I don't know if you've read it, but the the reign of the Superman story that Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster did back in the early thirties, you know, that had a guy that gained the ability to control people. Uh-huh. With his mind. So I didn't read it, but I listened to your coverage of it. So, oh, okay. Second, second best thing anyway. Um, yeah. Or even if he had a device that like you have to attach to them and then he has a, a sister device that he attaches to himself or something like that would have made more sense than, yeah. Like, how does his brain affect the serum in somebody else's body? Yeah, I don't know. That's the weird part. Or if he maybe, had to, maybe if, that's where the puppets come in. It could be, but later on in the story, either. he's got <laughs> you know he's got a hundred people that he's controlling. Does he have a hundred puppets? Because we don't really see that. Ah, uh, yeah, good point. We yeah, we just see his face. And we his see hands his, yeah, we see his hands, but no puppets. Anyway, page five. Love Batman's little hand coming out and <laughs> just taking the <laughs> yeah uh, taking the formula before they can. I just thought that was cool. I was I was looking in the panel before that to see if he was maybe hidden in the shadows somewhere, but you don't really see him, so Mm-mm. I don't know where he came from. But he must have came out ink through the back or something. Could have been. Or he was there before they got there, because actually he starts heading to Doctor Craig's house. The panel before. All the Cossacks are like sitting around talking about his serum. So that's right. So maybe he's just been lying in wait the whole time. He, I do like his line though. After he snatches the formula, he says, oh, yeah. "Come and get it." Yeah. Like, and that then he's gonna open up a can. And then even um, you know he punches that guy and says, "You got it, but not the formula." That was kind of fun too. Yeah. Yeah, he had better lines all through this story. Better, mm-hmm. better comebacks and. And the fights were more straightforward. It wasn't uh, like we were talking about in the detective of this month, where you know he's jumping around on stairs and uh-huh. running away, and then coming back or knocking some people over. This time he's just kind of beating people up, just throwing people around. It's... Yeah, which I kind of like too. Although he once again was it necessary to break Doctor Craig's base? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> See, I don't notice that stuff when I read the stories. I mean, I'm glad you do, but I, I think it's from reading Superman stories where he, you know, smashes through walls and, and is throwing oh. cars around and stuff all the time. So oh, I know. Superman's the worst. I guess worst. the property damage is just comes along with the, the property there. Yeah. When will these dummies learn to use a doorknob or whatever? <laughs> right. Uh. right. But after the fight, we're moving on to page six here. Mm-hmm. There he takes Craig back to his laboratory. Awesome. Which is the first time we've seen that mentioned in quite a while. Yeah. Oh, we've seen it mentioned before? Dang. Oh, we have, haven't we? When he did the serum uh-huh. to coat the bat plane. That's right. And also, well, his origin doesn't... It was the Napoleon guy. Yeah, right. I can't remember his name either, but we don't have to because he's never going to come back. 
Right. Yeah, we don't. All you see is a window and like some weird canisters. Thanks. Yeah, something. It's interesting that they don't show whether or not the electric shock idea works. If you notice, it says, uh, well, does it say? No, it says perhaps a slight electric shock might do it. It's worth a try. And then later, they're just hanging out, smoking. Yeah. Um, But I got to thinking maybe they did that on purpose because later they're going to try and fool us. To thinking Batman is. Right. Mm -hmm. But it didn't really fool anybody. I do like that his first choice is electroshock therapy, though. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of a uh, uh, dramatic uh, attempt there. You think you could try something a little tamer first. And he he, uh, was going to do that to Joker, too, wasn't he? To cure him? Yeah, to try and cure him. You're right. Or no, that was he he was going to work on his brain or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, something extreme. Why is Dick not in costume here? Wouldn't that be a little Uh, awkward if Craig snapped out of it? That is a good, yeah. I guess they haven't worked out the whole sidekick rules yet. Apparently, yeah. I mean, he wasn't with Batman, so he wasn't out as Robin, but, you know, it's Batman's laboratory and Batman's in costume, you'd think, yeah. Yeah, not a good idea. Um, Really, really hating the way they draw Bruce Wayne these days. Yeah, it looks a little different. I saw that in your notes, and I went back and looked at the stories like in the earlier part of this uh-huh. Chronicles volume. And it, yeah, it just, the art really all through this story. I mean, there's some, there's some nice layouts and, and poses, but I don't know if it's just the inking or I'm not really too much of a fan of Rousseau's inking. Well, so, I don't even know that Bob Kane's all that great, but no, I mean, like you've said before, he definitely gets out of the grid idea, which is cool. Yes. You know, the eight panel or six panels per page like everybody else is doing in, during this period. But um, he's also – he uses, reuses panels. He's, his figures are kind of hit and miss. His perspective is horrible. And I really think they're trying to ape like Dick Tracy or something for Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne's face. That's what it looks like to me. He's got the very square jaw and squinty eyed. Yeah. Mm. It's just – I don't know. It's just weird. He didn't used to look like that. But oh well. But speaking of art, that's a nice segue over page seven. I think there's lots of nice art on this page. I like the big circle panel here in the center. Mm -hmm. I like the panel of Batman and Robin running down the hallway with the big shadows on the walls. Absolutely. Uh, At the bottom, the center panel with the bat plane flying in front of the moon. Mm -hmm. And now that they've dropped the uh, propeller off the top, it really does look more like a bat shape. Yeah. Except they also dropped the bat head off the front. Yeah. So now it but looks this, like an airplane. I don't know if it was there before. I don't remember seeing it, but they've added this like graphic on the side that's like a bat. You can yeah. see it better over on the next page. Yeah, you can see it better over on the next page where it kind of descends down into the uh, wing of the plane. Mm-hmm. Not really a fan of the decal, but... Yeah, I didn't even notice that. That's interesting. Huh. That's weird that they... Uh, yeah, I think they're... Did the head? Did the one that had the bat head? That was just last the last issue we covered, wasn't it? Um, no. I'm looking back. Hang on. No, he didn't use the bat plane last issue. I think this is the first time we've seen the bat plane since we've. Well, no, he did use the bat plane. Yeah, there it is. Um, yeah. Okay, so that head bat plane does not have a propeller. So maybe that's why they were trying to change it up. Ah, oh, I bet you're right. Because they're thinking, this doesn't make any sense. How can this thing fly? So let's make it look right. like an airplane. Hmm. So so now it has a generic 
airplane front for those who are not following along. Uh, it still has scalloped wings, though. And, yeah, there's like this bat decal to kind of give it a vibe, I guess. Scalloped, scalloped wings, which are probably not at all aerodynamically fit. <laughs> right. But but looks good in a silhouette. Yeah. I was wondering at first why, you know, why does Dimitri care who his people scratch? Like why? I think he specifically, or they all go around specifically picking hoodlums. Right. Um, why not just scratch old ladies or whatever? But then I got to thinking that would probably make the story a lot more complicated if Batman and Robin couldn't punch freely punch the people. Right. That, that are trying to rob the rival. we got six pages left, so you, you got to get yeah. to the punching. Yeah. And from a story standpoint, I guess you could say maybe because those guys all came with weapons or yeah, or at least violence in their heart or something. <laughs> They're bad to the bone. Yeah. But the coolest part of this page is we learn that there is an underground passage connecting Wayne – well, the where Bruce Wayne lives, mm-hmm. the Wayne home – to yep. an old deserted barn that houses the bat plane. That's very awesome. And they've they've talked before about a secret hangar. That was all the way back in Detective Comics number thirty one. But this is the first time it's been stated that it's a barn and definitely the first time it's that there's a tunnel connecting it with the the Wayne home. Yeah. Not yet the Bat Cave, but we're getting there. Yeah, it's getting closer and uh I, I just as soon as I read that um, deserted barn, it's like, wow, I hope nobody ever goes in there for any reason. But there's probably locks or something. Do you think that barn is on his property? Doesn't really I, say it. I, it sounds like it's not, but I don't know why I say that because it doesn't say. But an old seemingly deserted barn doesn't sound like you know it'd be on, a, on Wayne Manor because then it wouldn't be deserted. Right. If it's a barn on somebody's property who, like, you know, lives there, then I, I got the impression based on the caption. It's like it is a, a barn out in the middle of nowhere that everybody just thinks is abandoned and nobody messes with. But it's got to be close if they're running there. Well, yeah, that's probably their one-minute mile. <laughs> um, I wonder how long this whole barn idea lasts because I think it would be interesting if, like, anybody ever draws out, uh, you know, a map of all this and how it works, but... That'd be cool to see. Yeah, I don't know. No, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Um, like the panel where they're flying over the city and everybody's like, oh, look, in the sky, it's Superman. I mean, a bat. Uh, yeah. But it's yeah, cool. between that and the uh, reference from last, the bird comment. There was a bird comment last story. And then we had the Metropolis Limited. You know, I, it, it could just be all coincidences, but that's a lot of coincidences in relation yeah. to Superman. Well, I was hoping a Metropolis Limited was a reference to Superman, but you never know, I guess, because Metropolis is kind of a generic, could be a generic description, description, but right. And I, I also recently learned that Finger used Metropolis in the second Green Lantern story as the name of the city where Green Lantern was operating. Oh, really? The second Alan Scott story. Yeah. Huh. Um, and doesn't he now like Alan Scott? Alan Scott. Yep. Um. Isn't he at least as far as these days is concerned? It wasn't didn't he uh, patrol in Gotham or? Yes. Okay. So, but not back, not back but, here, because there's no, no Gotham. not 1940. No. It, from what I've been able to tell in the earliest Green Lantern stories, his location was kind of vague and scattered, just like with Batman. Mm-hmm. They didn't really pinpoint a, a location right at first. 
So I don't remember if they've said this before, but they're attacking the plane and they put the bat plane in or they say they're setting, what does they say? Setting the controls which enable the bat plane to remain stationary. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. I like that they because... actually said it because they've done it already multiple times, seems like. Right. Um, but now they've ditched the propeller and, and, t- and making what was really a bat helicopter or a bat gyro into an actual bat plane. And now they specifically mention that it has controls to keep the thing stationary. I mean, if yeah. you had a helicopter, that could remain stationary without moving, but a plane yeah. can't. So I right. like that they noted that it had special controls. That's very that advanced for, to... for 1940. Yeah. For a plane, yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of confused. I don't know about you, but uh, at first I thought Batman was throwing tear gas at the thugs, even though they're all wearing gas masks. But No, it's the Cossacks or the, the thugs, because if you look on the previous page... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I ultimately figured it out, but I don't think they initially talked about soldiers at first. Yeah, right on the bottom of page nine. Oh, do they? The, the guy that looks like the Sandman... He mm-hmm. says, the train has stopped. Get the Voss gun. It's in the baggage car. Use your tear gas bombs on the soldiers. Oh, see? Reading comprehension. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get it I didn't get it until he got back at his plane and tried to eradicate the tear gas. And then I was like, oh, I guess he wasn't the one doing the tear gas. But the That sol- would have been cool, though, having Batman use tear gas as a weapon. Yeah. I got no problem with that. Yeah. I'm not sure why he wasn't affected by the tear gas, though, given that he wasn't the one you know, throwing it. Good point. Because he came in from the top? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's <laughs> standing... that weird gas dispersion. He's standing, next, comics. he's standing right next to two soldiers who are falling over. <laughs> right. With tear gas, and he seems fine. So, again, Batman has page nine. He has the ability to dissolve various gases mm-hmm. with some sort of magic pellets or something. Um, but my biggest problem with this page is... They beat up, or they dissolve the tear gas so the soldiers can get in and beat up the Puppet Master's minions. And then Robin says, well, I guess that just about finishes the Puppet Master. <laughs> and I love your Robin voice, by the way. And Batman, I'll never be able to do that again either. Um, <laughs> and then Batman says, gee, someone scratched my face. And then they go home. <laughs> After all the praise earlier in the story about being proactive and going after the bad guys, now they go home. Yes. One crucial step missing. (laughs) Not only go home, but they go home and go to bed. Right. But I do like that they they didn't take the easy out with this scratch, you know, saying that since he wasn't dressed as Batman, he could he couldn't be controlled because Demetrius is controlling the Batman and not Bruce, you know. Right. when he got scratched and then went home, I thought, well, that's what they're going to do. You know, they're going to mm-hmm. fake it out that he can't be controlled since he's not dressed as Batman. Yeah. It's a good thing he did dress as Batman, really. <laughs> since he was as Bruce when he was, yeah, yeah, sleeping. It's, it's not like Dimitri told him to get dressed. He just said, get up and <laughs> rob the, you know, rob the jewelry store. And he decided to put on a Batman outfit. Yeah. Um, well, he was looking for a disguise and that was the. Nearest one handy. So. Yeah, and to cover that face. Look at that face. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. 
<laughs> yeah, it looks pretty terrible there. I'll give you that much. Uh, <laughs> that looks very different than earlier stories. Yes. Bruce Wayne was always portrayed as a, a very handsome, uh, well-groomed you know, man. And yeah. Here he looks... T- he looks like a Dick Tracy villain on that. Yeah. Uh, I don't what's know what to call the, him. What's the guy with the lips? Lips oh, Manalus. Yeah. Lips Manalus, yeah. <laughs> uh, another awesome Batman device to rival that of the stethoscope. and We got uh, the bat glass cutter. <laughs> Which just looks like a, uh, a key or something. At least it's blue. A big key. Yeah. Uh, but wouldn't it have been easier for Dimitri just to say, you know, hey, Batman, go play in traffic? Yep. Okay. Probably. <laughs> I wonder, yeah, I wonder if there are limits to what he can have them do, but they don't go into it, so. Like, you can't have somebody kill. That's a good point. Because you're supposed to not be able to hypnotize somebody into doing something they don't want to do, but then again, Batman's robbing a jewelry store, so what does that mean? Right. I love the short term memory of the police officers in this panel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't I can't hardly believe my eyes. Batman robbing a store. The, he would never do that except for that time he tossed that villain off the top of the roof and <laughs> just to get our attention. Just yeah. to get our attention, yeah. <laughs> or the yeah, after that even he was still uh beating up on cops and and running from the police. Remember that time he hung that big, poor, defenseless giant and then just flew him <laughs> around the city for all of us to watch? <laughs> uh, uh, Cops like... and Gotham. They, they start out having poor memory and then just move on to the uh, unscrupulous morals. Yeah. I like the last panel, though, on that on uh, page 11. Where he's running away. Yeah. yeah. It's a very cool like little city city street picture. Yeah, even the one before that where he's crashing through the glass, that's mm-hmm. kind of nice too. Yeah. I've noticed, and maybe it was like this quite a bit before we took our break too, but it just seems like in the story since we've come back, he, Kane or the Inkers or whoever has been doing a lot with the shadows. Sometimes it's shortcuts and sometimes it's atmosphere, but it, it totally works with the character. Yeah. Um, then we get to the best page of this story in my opinion. <laughs> Um, Even better than the police officers? Yes. Firstly, here I am. I'm not only... They're just rubbing it in my face. Not only did they not go pick up the puppet master to finish off the job, but apparently it is ridiculously easy to figure out (laughs) where his own personal house is in addition to the theater he works in. Because Robin just decides, oh, I should go... I bet that's where Batman went. I'll figure out where the guy lives. Oh, he's in the newspaper. Here's his address. Okay. <laughs> uh, Is that you're absolutely right? He goes to his house. Yeah. Like they could have they knew where he worked, so they could have picked him up there. But, right. But here Robin's like, Good thing the newspaper carried the puppet master's address. Ay ay ay. Anyway. But then again, you know, if you look through newspapers back then, they did print people's addresses like that. They'd say, you know, Michael Kaiser, one two three Mockingbird Lane. Oh yeah, I'm not saying or whatever. it's unrealistic the newspaper did it. I'm saying how 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 easy was it to him to figure out where the guy lived, and they should have just picked him up. Oh okay. 
Yeah. Why did they go to bed? <laughs> they were tired. I guess. A tired Batman is a cranky Batman. Crime fighters have to go to bed by midnight, and they have to eat <laughs> breakfast by 8, or whatever it was. Yes, three square meals a day yeah. with, with a big glass of milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, but then the story totally redeems itself with the following. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I don't even know where to begin. First of all, I love the panel where Batman and Robin are kind of standing looking at each other. I just think it's really cool, the difference between in sizes between the two of them. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say that's about what I would think of as far as proportions go. Mm-hmm. I mean, Robin's head is still tremendously large, but, you know, yes. as far as Kane yeah. having problems with perspective and stuff, I think he got the proportions right. Yeah, he definitely gets that butthead haircut, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. In some panels. In if some you look panel. two panels later, it, it looks completely different. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes they, they make him look like a, an adult with a kid's body or something. Anyway. But yeah, I, I totally love this whole scene with Robin. There, there's just nothing that's wrong with it. No. If I had been an eight-year-old reading this in 1940, I would have just loved it to pieces. I mean, Robin's your Robin's your reader identity character, and mm-hmm. now he has to save Batman, which is just very awesome. Yeah. And he not only saves him, but it also shows how tough he is because he takes Batman out with one punch. Right. Right to, to the, the throat, too. To the throat. And then... <laughs> And then picks up what is presumably a 200-plus pound all-muscle dude, throws him over his shoulder, and walks back to, to Wayne Manor, wherever the heck that is. Walks back home. You're absolutely right. Because How awesome they were is at that? the They were at the uh, Puppet Master's house. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless wow. he took a car, but even still, just the fact that he can lift Batman up is amazing. Can Robin drive? Have we seen – did we see Robin driving in a previous – we did, didn't we? We've seen him pilot the plane. I thought we saw him driving in the second Catwoman story. Uh, I'm thinking of something different. You could be right. Maybe but he was just – Either way, if he can fly a plane, he could drive a car. Yeah, in the second Catwoman story, well, we see him behind the wheel. That They don't really specify if the car is moving or not, but – Oh, yeah. The wheel. I can I believe he can drive. I think we even talked about whether he was of driving age or not, but – Anyway, yeah, I think like what, I think walking. what we said is if you tr- if you train an eight year old to be a lethal assassin, <laughs> you know, then it's okay if he can drive. Yeah, yeah. he can drive. I think this might be my favorite Robin moment so far, even topping the part, uh, the scene where they he thought Batman had been killed. Oh yeah, that was a good I don't one too. What issue that was, but I think this one might top it. Well, one of my favorite parts about it is after he gets slapped, he he's turns into this little like sad little kid like oh he yeah. hit me my best friend hit me and then like <laughs> two paddles later boom <laughs> right in the neck yeah they 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 just they just hit all the right notes emotionally on this you know with him being heartbroken and then muscling up the gumption to do what he needed to do even though it meant hurting his best friend basically yeah father figure that was great so then this is where they're supposed to trick you because um, they don't show Robin actually fixing him. They just say he's going to go back and uh-huh. try. Now, you could assume that Robin knows that it works because it worked on Dr. Craig, or you could assume that it didn't work on Dr. Craig and Robin is just a huge jerk. <laughs> we never see Dr. Craig again, so they might have killed him and 
forgot about that. It's like yeah. let's let's hope that Batman could take it better than Doctor Craig could. Well, he's younger, so maybe. Yeah. Use a lower voltage. Uh, but Batman, when he punches Doctor Doctor Craig, Dimitri, he says, "Now I'm going to put you in a hypnotic state." And I think Batman totally stole Slam Bradley's cool guy one-liner handbook. Yeah, he really did, because Slam has not said anything cool in a long time. Right. And that totally sounds like a Slam Bradley line. Definitely. Uh, so the last panel, after Batman lays out Dimitri and he and Robin have a good laugh about it, is Batman is, <laughs> is very concerned that <laughs> that they let the let the police know that Batman couldn't possibly have been robbing that jewelry store yeah under his own volition so he's come a long way because i don't think he used to care about what cops thought no not when he's throwing people off of buildings no. yeah especially since but they, I, I, I they, like... used, they used to think he was a criminal so right i like his dialogue here in, in the final panel though it's mm-hmm. yes it's very white bread but i like that in my heroes yep all in all a um, good story yeah really awesome i, I mean there have only been three since we came back, but I think each story has gotten progressively better. Mm-hmm. And I like that we got, again, a decent amount of solo Batman in the story. Robin did play a bigger part than the last one, but I think that was okay. His part at the end, like we talked about, was really excellent, and he didn't actually dominate the rest. Um, no. But he the, got to punch no... Batman in the throat. <laughs> right. That's what all kids want to do. Yeah. The, the hypnotism voodoo mind control was a little weird. Uh, a little more out there than we've seen in a Batman story, but I don't know. I think it works. It, yeah, it's there weird, was, but it works. There was like <clears throat> those trappings from Finger that we always, you know, sigh about, where like Bruce randomly comes across a henchman and right, they completely drop the ball and not finish, you know, not pick up a bad guy they know about or do something they know about. But other than that, I guess I'm just getting used to that because I like the story anyway. Mm-hmm. It would make another one that would make a good animated episode. Yeah. I think a lot of these Golden Age stories would be nice animated. Pretty much, you know, played out how they played out in the original story. Yeah. Maybe a few little tweaks, but. And we got to see, did we say that already? We got to see the underground tunnel and the. Uh Yep. The laboratory again and the. Yeah. Very cool. I like when you see that stuff. Yeah. Uh, But if you'd like to check this out. And if you want to see Robin punch Batman in the throat. And who the heck would not? Although you can go to our site for that, because we'll definitely be putting that one on there. Um, uh, it was reprinted in Batman The Dark Knight Archives Volume 1 in 1992, and Batman Chronicles Volume 2 in 2006. And as we've already mentioned, that Chronicles Volume 2 has the same cover as this issue, only with a white background. So that's kind of neat. Well, folks, that's it for this episode. I um, want to thank everybody for listening. Feel free to stop by the website at batmanlegends.com for show notes. At the site, you'll find the iTunes link and the RSS feed if you want to subscribe to the show. You can also follow us on, follow us on Facebook and Twitter if you want to get updates or whenever we have a new episode or other cool Batman-related things to talk about. And links to both of those are at the site as well. And the site will also give you a contact form, or you can email us your feedback directly with questions or comments or whatever else at podcast at batmanlegends.com. We want to invite you also to check out our other podcasts. Mike has a show that he co-hosts with John Wilson and J. David Weeder called The New 52 Adventures of Superman. 
where they're looking at the uh, current Superman books. And then I have two other podcasts, the first being Green Lantern's Light, which I co-host with uh, Jeffrey Taylor and J. David Weeder, where we're looking at Green Lantern from the 80s. And then there is my uh, solo podcast, The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, where I'm doing basically what we're doing here with the Golden Age, but with Superman. Next episode on this show, we'll be continuing with our look at Batman number three with the second story, which is called The Ugliest Man in the World. But, <laughs> it's not about you. Don't oh. worry. <laughs> okay, go. Uh, but until then, this has been Legends of the Batman, and we will talk to you next time. See you next week. Batman created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and it's copyright DC Comics. Thank you.